Well, hello everyone. This is Alligator. Alligator in alignment. Um, we've got a wonderful show today. Uh, sort of a different subject than what we usually do. I got a new friend of mine, Nate Kanye. Kanye. Um, anyway, we're going to get into some really interesting subjects. But I'm going to give you a precursor of, of one of the shows coming up. I always do music in the beginning of my shows, as you know. I'm going to do music by a gentleman named Stephen Foster. Foster. <laughs> I'm forgetting his name. Hey, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Foster, he was the Cole Porter of the, uh, Lennon McCartney of the 1800s. All of the music, the popular music of that era, he was writing, Oh Susanna, uh, Oh My Darling Clementine, Camp Town Ladies, and Hard Times, which is a wonderful song, Hard Times, you gotta hear it. But anyway, I'm gonna start off with a Stephen Foster song. This song was wrote in 1843, and I'm gonna do it for you right now, okay? Alligator style. Thank you. 
the future generation. Everything was done for the generations to come. Everything was done that, that way. And now it's, I've slowly watched that disappear. And now everything is done for instant gratification. Right. People are not thinking of the, the next generation. Climate change being a really excellent example. Mm. We know what the scientists are saying. And we know uh, now that you can't call it uh, uh, maybe. Mm -hmm. it, these are certain things. But yet and still, people are thinking about their instant gratification, about me, how much money that I make and all this stuff. And they aren't thinking about, am I going to leave the, the next few generations with an earth that we can even live in comfort on? Mm -hmm. That's not even thought of anymore. Well, I was talking to Nate a little bit the first time we sort of interacted. And we were talking about this idea of, you know, us being in a time where we just look at such a small snapshot of, of the big picture, especially, you know, time-wise. Mm -hmm. um, and climate change came up, and I, I remembered a book I read. Um, it was by George, not George Martin, but a book I read in college. It doesn't matter who it's by. Uh, but basically the message is um, we physiologically, evolutionarily, um, however you want to describe it, we have a trouble looking at problems that we can't see or hear or feel or taste or smell. You know what I'm saying? We have trouble with those intangible things that we know will affect us in the future. Like we can, you know, we can sit down, we can analyze it, we can figure it out, but for us to like empathetically connect with it and act on it, um, it's, it's really difficult for us as, as humans, just in our nature. Um, now where like climate change comes into play with this is like, you know, the effects are so small and you know, it's easy to not worry about what's going on in Houston or in the Cayman Islands or somewhere that's so far away, but, um, or, you know, in the future, a hundred years mm -hmm. in the future, as we're talking about. It's, you know, it's a problem that's just difficult for us to internalize and conceptualize, but, um, but because of that, uh, by the time real tangible consequences of our actions, uh, you know, materialize, yeah, manifest, manifest uh, it's, a, it's a little bit too late. Um, now, one place where we were able to see something and make a change was the ozone layer. Uh, For sure, that's actually, everyone, no one talks about the ozone layer. Well, because it sort of, we didn't solve the problem, but we made huge steps. I think it was the, uh, I'm going to butcher, the CFCs, the... Yeah, uh, chlorofluorocarbons. Chlorofluorocarbons, yeah. yeah. Um, I used to have a joke in my science class, we learned about those. It was my ninth grade science class, and uh, whenever the science teacher would ask anything, like, why is this, we always say chlorofluorocarbons, mm -hmm. you know, for the whole you right. know, year, and it just drove him absolutely nuts. I think I got detention for it or something. It got bad enough. But, <laughs> yeah, you're right. The CFCs from styrofoam, from refrigerants, from a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, those were the uh, aerosols a lot. Yeah, aerosols, that's another big one. Um, you know, those were something that we went, we, like, went from whatever amount we were emitting to like 1% of that amount in like 10 years between I think the late 90s and the early 2000s. And, you know, now we don't hear about the ozone layer. And some naysayers have heard of said, oh, you know, mm -hmm. well, this is a big deal. Now it's not a big deal anymore. Like, obviously it doesn't matter. Like maybe climate change is more blown up than it needs to be. And the reality is, is we made these big changes globally, not just here in America. And now we don't see an accelerated rate of this whole growing. In fact, we see the ecosystem, excuse me, the the global climate natural. Well, it is actually part of the ecosystem. I mean, all this stuff is alive and in communication. But right. I mean, climate change. So we're trying to be more specific. Yeah, we're oh for sure, yeah for sure. Right. Um, climate change is one of the five topics that I wanted to talk about to kind of intersect us into this 
this moment in time here, we're, we're where we are. Right. Um, but I do think that point of, you know, the, the aperture getting smaller and smaller and smaller and just looking like right in front of us and like, you know, I think there are reasons just from a pure like values perspective that I don't like that, like, mm -hmm. but also just from a happiness perspective. I mean, this is the thing that, you know, kind of, um, you know, confuses me about it. And the first time we talked, we were saying, you know, like there's so many kind of angry people out there. There's so much negative emotions. And as we get into kind of this, this point of technology and what it unlocks or the trouble it can cause, a lot of that is driven by technology because, you know, we're plugged into like a device mm -hmm. that like literally like is eating our brain essentially and like taking our taking our attention span and trying to chop it up into smaller and smaller pieces to sell it to the highest bidder. Well, I heard, I actually heard somebody compare, you know, they said we sort of colonized the world to an extent as humans, uh, but now we're sort of trying to call, colonize time for mm. people's attention spans. Huh. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a really interesting way to sort of um, paint the picture of the way that we interact with technology today, where so many, so many companies, you know, not bad necessarily, but the job is to try to get as much um, of our attention throughout the day or throughout mm. the week or whatever unit of time as possible. Um, and well, what's interesting about that too, and I, I want to like frame up a project and stuff, but we can keep going on this topic because I'll talk about that all day. Mm -hmm. Is um, a lot of what the a lot of what these algorithms are done like they're they're designed with a purpose, and the technology isn't good or bad. Like in many ways, I think maybe it's good, but technology is kind of neutral. It's like any other tool, right? Like it never can be great if I'm building a house and terrible if I'm murdering somebody. Right. And that's kind of how technology works too. And like these algorithms are actually, and we were talking about this earlier, they're mm -hmm. designed to trigger us. Um, and get that attention primarily by preying on negative emotions like anger and like fear and like defensiveness. Well, I would almost say that rather than being intentionally targeting these fears, I think they're, the job of these algorithms is to, you know, get as much time per user, get as many interactions per minute. And I think it's just the natural sort of evolution of these algorithms to target these sort of emotions because that's what elicits the most. But my point, is, my point is like, you know, one of the things that these algorithms have done um, and one of the things that I kind of want to see see how we can break away and find some commonality from is they've, they've created a very high amount of polarization because right. they've created these different camps. And you could design an algorithm to do the exact opposite. You could design an algorithm to show to, yes to to facilitate you know people with different ideas coming together in a productive setting. And now that's there there are a whole host of reasons why that's not what's going on right now. But this is just my point to kind of point out. And you know climate change is an area, but there are many other areas where. We actually have so many amazing tools at our disposal to do some really cool stuff. And part of what I want to talk about today is like, how you know, how do we kind of start to move in that direction? Because in some ways, you know, this is a scary time for a lot of people. I don't find it scary, but it's really exciting. I mean, we, we might be on the verge of something that's that's really special here. You know, I think so as well. Um, can you elaborate on that? What what do you think we could be on the verge of things? Because I think we're almost at a crossroads. I think we could be on the verge of really great things, and I think also, you know, just like as you said, the hammer could either be good to build or bad to break. Mm -hmm. um, I think we could also be, you know, I'm not I'm not a woes me guy. Um, I'm personally not subscribed to one way or another, but I, I definitely think we're at a crossroads where uh, we as a people could come together and move in mm -hmm. positive directions, especially in the context of technology and time. But I also think that if we sort of remain complacent. Um, and as a whole, as a society, sort of allow things to just kind of happen. Mm -hmm. um, similar to how that algorithm pulls out the negative emotions because that's what sort of feeds it financially. Mm -hmm. um, I think technology can kind of be 
used to do the same thing if left to its own devices. We're not letting our old man get a word here at all, huh? What do you think? <laughs> um, the, thing the reason a lot of these, these media sites, uh, they make their money off the negative. 100%. I learned as a young man, as a young child back in the 40s or whatever, 50s, if you, if you gossip, say gossip, if something comes out that's negative about somebody in the community, it spreads like wildfire. Everybody wants to tell somebody about it. Mm -hmm. But if we find out that that particular subject that everybody's spreading around wasn't true, when that is found out, all of the people who were spreading this negative thing all over the community, none of them will go back mm -hmm. and spend the energy they spent spreading it to correct it. Negative, negative things have a, a life of their own. Mm -hmm. And they were spread like wildfire. And that's that's the thing with, with, with the internet is that a lot of these, I watch a lot of podcasts and things, mm -hmm. and the more outrageous and the more misinformation mm -hmm. that they spread, the more conspiracy theories, the, the higher their, their, uh, the higher their ratings are, the further yeah, their reach spreads, right? Yeah, and that's the thing about the internet from somebody from my age group looking mm -hmm. at it is that the internet is an absolutely wonderful thing. I mean, wonderful, but it has a dark side, like everything else. Mm -hmm. And that dark side is there's the, the division that's going on in this in this world now. We need a counter mm -hmm. point to it, which I, which I hope you are trying to, to present also. Mm -hmm. You know, almost a counterculture. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I think a lot of it, you know, it's um, it's funny. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you guys know Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he, so you ever watch that show Hot Ones on YouTube? It's celebrities eating increasingly spicy hot ones. He actually hot wings up to like two million Scoville units. While being like interviewed. While being yeah. interviewed, and he actually wins. He maintains his whole Neil deGrasse Tysonism throughout the whole thing, and it, the host is like dying. But he he has a quote somewhere in there. He's like, you know. Um, the guy asks him, you know, are you ever get tired of like debunking or like, you know, how much are you debunking conspiracy theories and like tell, tell some of that? And he's like, no, like my role is like, I'm an educator. Like I'm, I'm working on and what I try to do is I try to create a scenario where people have the tools and the education such that the conspiracy theories or the bullshit or whatever just like doesn't stick. Mm -hmm. um, and then he has another quote in there where he's like, the problem with the internet, it's amazing, but it came about before we had like the educational baseline to know when somebody's full of shit. Um, and then he's got one more thing just to, to quote the, the man um, where he talks about, you know, it's, it's not that it's made people crazier, but because everything is indexed and everything is searchable, you can have some crazy idea and you can type it into Google and you can go and find everybody else that believes that exact same thing, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the problem, the problem with Google is really, however you phrase the question, you'll find something that supports or affirms that. For sure. Um, and so it's like, you know, uh, a really good example of this is I, I there's um, these graphics that go around, regardless of your political affiliation, you'll find this interesting. There's these graphics that go around that have this, like, long list of what, like, Donald Trump did, and then, like, these three things that Joe Biden did. And then on the other hand, there's, like, a long list of, like, what Joe Biden did and 
a very short list of what he did or not successes of the other guy. And it's, it's so funny because if you were to search all of these the way they're worded, you'll find it exactly, you know, mm-hmm. supporting exactly what that is. But if you search it in, uh, to the antithesis of whatever that statement is, you'll find that to be the true as well. The exact opposite, yeah. And so it's, um, I can understand why a lot of people find it easy to fall into these traps, these echo chambers where, you know, people are saying the same thing. And like, you look it up the way they say it and it confirms it. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's really interesting that Neil deGrasse and yourself say yeah. this, that the, the, <laughs> the internet came before we were educated enough to use the internet. And I think that's a good point. Yeah, oh yes. yes but, yes. Um, but to get back to, to our original topic, mm-hmm. um, I find it really interesting that both these gentlemen independently were talking about um, looking at this, especially the media sources like the newspaper or um, cable news, they happen to look at such a small segment of the bigger picture. Um, like Dad, you were saying back in the day, uh, you know, it was always policy was always written with, with the future in mind, with future mm-hmm. generations future in mind. Generations. And, and Nate, you were saying that you think uh, it would be a lot more important to look at news through the context of a of a broader scale of what happened a hundred years ago that's affecting what's happening today, and how what happens today, the policies that are put forth, and the general trends of the population, how that will affect us 100 years in the future. I'm interested to hear. Could you expand upon that? Yeah. Well, so I think another another point on, you know, even if you think of like digital versus analog, you know, digital chops everything up into a, a unit, a, a bite-sized one or a zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that that has the effect of doing is it, is it obliterates continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, in an analog world, you know, everything is constantly connected to itself. Whereas in a digital world, everything has to be broken apart. And you can get it to like a super high level of resolution so that you don't notice it. But there is this like breaking apart of continuity that happens. And I think like as we kind of talk about, you know, time and, and, and these topics of how do we have a, a broader perspective on what's going on, you know, we can interact with the news story, we can interact with the tweet, we can interact with the newspaper, and it creates this illusion that this is like, something immediately that's changed or that happened like totally out of the blue independent of the context and um and the character and the characters that were part of that story well in the past and will be well in the future you know so all these things are kind of moving in a continuous direction and you know i i I originally thought you know let's just pick a newspaper and kind of pick some articles and you know i'm a big stories guy i have a, a journalist uh training even though that's not what i do anymore although it's super helpful and to me it's always about you know what are the what's the story and like who are the characters and what's the intrigue mm-hmm. and that's a that's a i just find a much more enduring and helpful way to make sense of the world and then it's just about kind of expanding the aperture a little bit expanding the time horizon over which we're thinking about something like you know the couple topics that i proposed here and i wrote them down um that i wanted to use to kind of anchor our discussion we talked about one of them which is climate change right um one of them is the ukraine war um and there's there's news articles on that every day but then there's just kind of the broader picture of you know, what do those new articles mean, either in the context of a war that's been going on for nine months, mm-hmm. or in the context of what that war kind of implies and, you know, what came before and after. 100%. That's, do you want to touch on that for a little well, bit? Well, so I want to frame up the kind of five topics to, okay. to get us an anchor, and if we want to propose some different ones. But so I, I've got climate change, I've got the Ukraine war, I've got these protests that are going on, and I don't know how much folks are paying attention to those. Some, some maybe, some may not. You're talking about the ones in, in uh, China and China Iran. And yeah, Iran. so the ones in Iran have been going on for a couple weeks now. China actually really, I picked up a copy of the Sunday Times, there wasn't even any coverage of it, so it's super recent, and both of those regimes 
um, you know, are very authoritarian. They've really censored a lot of the news getting out, but there's still news, enough news getting out that you can kind of put some dots together there. Um, one is the economy, um, you know, because that's a hot topic for everybody. Everyone wants to put food on the table. You know, the economy's stupid, as Bill Clinton said, for, you know, why you win elections. Um, and the last one is the U.S. midterms. And I, I don't want to get, like, super political about that, but it, it is... It is kind of like a uniquely American kind of way that a lot of these dynamics interact, and I think there's some interesting takeaways, um, largely positive ones, I think, not necessarily because of the political outcome, more that we didn't uh, kind of self-combust. Mm -hmm. And I think we should all, regardless of what we think of the outcome, we should be ourselves there. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's really interesting to see how all these things sort of come together to create, um, you know, the world we're living in today. But it is really easy to sort of zero in on these these things that are happening um, and and not take context. Like for the Ukraine war, for example, mm -hmm. is a really good um, is a really good benchmark for that. Um, yeah, you can continue. I'm just going to try to pull some examples here while you're talking. Yeah, um, like you know, you look at the Ukraine war going on today, and you say, "Oh, this is terrible. This country is invading this other country." Of course, it is. It shouldn't happen like that. Yes, but. A lot of people don't take into context, and I'm not defending. Stick with me for a little bit, people. I'm not defending <laughs> Russia and it uh, means you're piss off the algorithm. No, 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 no. <laughs> the algorithm's gonna sniff you out. What I'm saying is, is if you look, a lot of people say, "Oh, I don't know why somebody would do that. That's so crazy." But if you look into the history of of this part of Europe, you'll see, you know, there's always been sort of a sense that this is this is our land. These are our people. We want to conserve it. Um, well, yeah, you have an imperialist power in right. Moscow right. that has, very, at various times, you know, invaded and annexed. Invaded and annexed region, and invaded Ukraine, which was part of the Soviet Union. Yeah, but kind so of against their will, but like was part of the Soviet Union in nineteen until ninety two, ninety four, something like that. Ninety, yeah, I think ninety four. Yeah, ninety four. Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, if you don't look into the context of why people are doing it, you're just going to understand that you're not going to understand that this isn't just some crazy dude. There is. At least a little bit of well, idea he's, behind he's it, right? A crazy dude. Uh, <laughs> not just. I didn't say he's not a crazy dude. Said not just a crazy dude. Uh -huh. But then you know you have to look in a little bit further, right? So in, for the past sixty years, for the most part in Europe, um, there's been sort of a like live and let be um, paradigm that we don't really want to change up because you know, like the nineteen forties when that stopped, a lot of bad things happened, and so once you when you're just focused on you know what happened today what happened this week, what even happened this year, you sort of lose a lot of why something happens and what that could potentially lead to in the future. Um, another good example of this is Russian's military policy of escalating to de-escalate, right? Um, so many people are like, oh, we should send all, this, send all these people to Russia, which, you know, I may agree with or do not agree, but you have to at least understand the context. Like, that might not... Um, you know, even though NATO or the West may have, like, the military power to handle business, supporting Ukraine is a little bit better because you keep us from escalating, which would in turn not de-escalate the situation, but cause a reaction from this. And I say all this to say, um, these are things that I've never read in a paper. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? These are things I've never seen on TV verbatim, or at least all put together. But for somebody that doesn't have any experience with history or experience with this part of uh, Europe, this is context that would give so much more depth to your understanding of the situation, but for some reason it doesn't make big headlines and it doesn't get people excited. I don't know, it doesn't get people angry and writing on message boards. So 
you know, it's something that's kind of left up to the reader or the viewer to find for their own. Is this a similar experience that you guys have had? What do you think, Elgato? My, my attitude about this, that, that, this thing is Ukraine, regardless to the past, whether it was a part of Russia or not, obviously doesn't want to be is, today. Is, is a separate, sovereign country. And uh, if Mr. Putin decides that he wants to reclaim the Russian Empire, uh, that that tells you a lot there. Well, yeah, but I'm not I'm not really talking about the Russian uh, Ukraine um, conflict itself, but more like the information that you see about it versus the information that really would add yeah, to so your understanding of that's it. Yeah, that's 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 definitely an angle. But I think what you were kind of getting at, alligator, was like some of the context, some right of the, what right it means. And wrong yeah. is wrong. That's it. Right. You know, uh, and somebody said, "Well, it used to be a part of Russia, so blah blah." But we used to be a part of Britain. Right. So what did we do? We, 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 you know, you know, we, we, there's a civilized society. And when, when, when uh, Ukraine is a sovereign country, and regardless to what any, all the ex existential things are, the fact is their country has been invaded. And there's no other way to so here's here's how I kind of put, you know, if we take the hundred year story and let's go hundred years in the future and let's start a hundred years in the past. So let's let's just take World War Two as our starting point here, or maybe a bit before World War Two. Um, I mean, World War Two was the last time that we had real, you know, imperialism in like a land war in Europe. In Europe, yeah. In Europe, not the other parts of the world. We're not used to conflict in in Europe and the U.S. in the same way that you know someone in South America or Asia or Africa would be for sure. That's a whole. That's a totally different topic that right. we could break into. But you know, starting in, I think like uh, World War Two. You know, what happened is you had a lot of apathy, even some support, and there was support, you know, in America and in Europe and stuff for Putin a lot more before he started this war and he's doing things like shelling shitties. But he had big fans in the US. I mean, he had Tucker Carlson, who was a big fan of him. You know, he was one of the <laughs> yeah. largest audiences of anybody. So yeah. he had, he had his, and Hitler had fans too, um, in the US back in the day. So if we kind of just start how that happened, you know, we had, um, we had apathy that allowed it to emerge. And at a certain point, that apathy, because we weren't paying attention to it and we weren't on the ball, got so big and so gnarly that the whole world had to go to war over it. And millions and millions of people died. In fact, 27 million Russians actually died in World War II. Right. And they fought on two different sides. So that's that's World War II. And then after World War II, you kind of had this, you know, and it gets to the thing that you were saying, Alligator, about how somehow we've lost context of, like, future generations. Like, if you look at when, like, America was founded, like, there are a lot of problems with the way America was founded, for sure. But it, it also there were some great things about it. It was like deeply aspirational. We want oh, yes. to build this oh, yes. land forever. Um, well, the, I mean, you know, a lot of the feelings um, that were created in that independence and just the whole formation of America sort of still stay strong in the zeitgeist of the culture in America today. You know, this whole Minuteman idea ideology, or like you know, <clears throat> don't tread on me and the guns and stuff like that. It's still things that are prevalent in our culture today. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was, you know, 240-some-odd years ago. Yeah, but so where, where I was kind of going with this is, you know, we had this apathy. And then we came out of World War II, and, like, certainly in America, like, oh, we could take over the world. And it, it, it's going to loop into some of the other topics that we brought up. And 
I, somehow we just kind of got, we, we had this whole growth of like neoliberalism, which is like completely shifting back, right? Like this idea that if we just, you know, get rid of all like economic controls between countries, there'll be like, you know, this great trade lifts all boats and there's world peace and everything because everybody's trading with it. Of course, we've seen, you know, the fact that we're so reliant on China for our supply chains, you know, is, is a problem, right. number one. And it certainly hasn't like prevented that relationship from, you know, escalating. Yes. Um, so, so a lot of people are starting to, and this was something that Trump like really kind of leaned into, I think a bit before his time, is he understood that people felt like the world order that everyone had kind of signed up to for about 80 years wasn't really working for them and wasn't working for the normal person. Now, I disagree with a lot of stuff that, you know, Trump did and, and kind of stands for, but he was, one of the reasons I think he was so impactful is because he was really, you know, understanding this fact that a lot he of tapped people, into it. he tapped into it. And, and there's not a lot of, and to my point, like there's not a lot of content out there or not a lot of people that were kind of going out and going out and saying that. And so, you know, we've gotten to this point similar to we did with Hitler, you know, with the Ukraine war, I think, where our apathy boiled over. I mean, you had the Germans willing to buy gas at whatever price from Russia and uh, apologize everything away. And it got to the point where we were funneling this guy, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars a year in petrodollars, and he built an army, he ended up building a really shitty army, it turns out, because it was so corrupt. But, right. you know, it's still a big army, you know, one of the biggest armies out there, enough to go start a really, really damaging war. And so I think it's a lesson to kind of us of seeing, like, because we were so myopic and because we were so selfish, we kind of lost track of the plot and allowed this to happen when we you never should have. We took our eye off the ball. Mm -hmm. Yes. For sure. Yes, we took our eye off the ball. So the ball. what do you think is a way that we could prevent this happening? Well, so, but, what I, but I, in the same way, and, and, you know, I think I want to kind of lean into this theme of optimism. Um, I think that, you know, I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised with, like, a lot of people thought, you know, that they were going to drive across the border and drive into Kiev in three days, and that was going to be it. Right. Maybe there'd be some resistance or whatever. But, like, you know, one of the themes that I want to hit on is, like, I think the human spirit is, like, really resilient. And I think when we look at these protests, when we look at the midterm, like, there's something going on here where, like, people are people are connecting in a way, and people are kind of sick of things, and they want to shake them off. There's going to be a paradigm shift. Yeah, that's what I that's yes, what I would say yes, of some yes. of some variety. It, it's starting. Yeah, and I think the Ukraine war is a good example of like actually see, like because a lot of people thought oh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fucking over in a day, you know, and like you've seen this incredible resilience, and you've seen also you know places like Germany and France and stuff who were like deeply deeply cynical in their relationship with this, and all they wanted to do was buy gas, and oh this was never gonna be an issue like really kind of step up to the plate, you know, NATO, um, and be like, no, like we're, we're not okay with this in a way that, I mean, I was shocked when the Germans right after the invasion were like, yeah, we'll shut down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. I was absolutely sh And maybe folks don't kind of understand that, but it's this big huge, huge, and they were building a second one, you know, and yeah, they get all of their gas, basically 90% of their energy supplies, I think, Someone can quote me or fact check me. Hopefully, I'll get flagged on Twitter for spreading misinformation because that's a. Sorry, we won't at you. Man. That's we'll a. That's you. a. Don't at me. Yeah, don't index <laughs> my talk. But you know that was a big deal, and so so that's that's kind of how I'm coming at the Ukraine war of looking at you know it, it's almost this last kind of vestige of like this trend that we've been on and like something and like look like it could end up going really badly and there could be a nuclear holocaust or like good win and killer whatever sure this is, this is the optimism podcast. but the op, but but i'm reading i'm reading the tea leaves in an optimism room i'm at least saying there's a lot of potential if we kind of play the cards right and stick the course yes i yes. i also think i also am fairly optimistic but i also like to look backwards in history and i know there's been there's been a lot of times where unsuccessful um missions of conquest have led to regime change in russia specifically 
And so... Uh, Everywhere, though, because they overextend. I mean, that's one of the problems with addiction. And this is also what you're seeing going on in China and Iran, too. We'll get to these protests uh -huh. and both. Of, so, you know, folks haven't been following along because, you know, it, there's a lot to keep up with these days. And one of the reasons that I think this is an important project is because we want to give, you know, we want to give some context for people so they know what to pay attention to and they know how to kind of connect the dots on these things. Right. So maybe you haven't been following these protests or, or even know anything about Iran, know anything about the history of that country. Mm -hmm. well, um, let, me, let, me, let me finish touching on the... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And China. But yeah, like I was saying, uh, specifically oh, everywhere, but specifically in Russia, um, like in the past like 120 odd years, um, missions of conquest to another country that are unsuccessful are generally bookended by uh, a pretty major regime change. Um, and and so, autocracies, not in democracies in the same regard. In Russia specifically. Yeah, in Russia, in Russia yeah. specifically, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot to be said about him, like, about Putin really not wanting to win this war, lose this war, um, because of, you know, the potential consequences for him, uh, you know, not staying in power. Mm -hmm. But I generally have a positive outlook. I find a lot of, uh, you know, inspiration in um, those folks from Ukraine defending themselves like that, and um, I know there's a lot of talk about our involvement, how deep we should be involved, or how not deep we should be involved, but uh, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's great that we can help out. I think it's, you know, it's probably best for us to not have put boots on the ground, but again, in the grand scheme of things, I think uh, maintaining this, you know, these new rules, these new international rules that you don't just going to somebody's house anymore. Um, even though, you know, places like Taiwan, places like Ukraine, um, by those authoritarian governments, what's considered their house and not their house is a little bit, uh, you know. Also, okay. alligator, my man, you gotta get in the frame. You're, you're lounging out the frame a bit. Here's the deal. I'm hearing a lot of uh, talk now. It's, it's small, but mm -hmm. it's growing about uh, we're spending too much money on the Ukrainian war, mm -hmm. we're helping them too much, and blah, blah, blah. And that's another indication of, of, of our original being mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. not thinking yeah. ahead. What happens if we don't? Mm -hmm. What happens if we abandon? The, you know, now, there's a certain political party who's already said they get in office, uh, there's going to be some changes to mm -hmm. our aid to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. What do we do if we allow uh, Mr. Putin to have his way? We are surely headed to World War III. Well, I don't think that Ukraine becoming part of, again, I don't know if I'm coming off as, as supportive of that stuff, but I don't think that would inherently lead to that. I think that's probably everyone's like biggest fear right now. Um, though, you the know, reason it's a problem, though, and, and then we can kind of shift to someone, is yeah. because someone like Putin doesn't stop. Like, this idea that he'll just stop when you want him to stop. <laughs> well, the problem is, is there's a hard line in the sand basically everywhere outside of, you know, the Balkans, maybe, um, even Finland would be like a really, really risky move, even though they're not like officially part of NATO. Uh, but as soon as they, like, the Poland thing, I thought that was it. When like some shell ran and landed in some farm in Poland and two people passed, unfortunately, um, you know that's that's unfortunately they couldn't figure out where it came from exactly. Some say it was Ukrainian, but um, yeah, I think I, I think I do think there's a pretty stiff line in the sand where 
uh, if it's crossed, but, that's but, but but you know where what I think like you know in bringing up the Ukraine, like we can we can solution and litigate the exact optimal like should we give them long range HIMARS or whatever. Like there's all sorts of things we can argue about. But right. what I'm trying to bring it up with is not to not to argue about any of those specifics, but more to basically put it in the in this this broader context and this broader trend. And one of the things that I think is absolutely true, and again, you could debate like hypotheticals and wargame it, and there are mm-hmm. folks that are more qualified than us to probably do that, and this is all they're doing right now. Right. But what is certainly true is that you know, the more that we give to that darkness mm-hmm. of someone like Putin, the more it will take from us. I and whether that is land or whether that is something else, and that's why this is like such an important but also such an encouraging conflict is like we reached a point and like something pushed back. In a way that I wasn't expecting, it was going to push back. You know, I want to make a. I want to say something. Um, you guys remember John McCain, right? Yeah, nukes with a or gas station with nukes. <laughs> uh, we had all of these presidents that dealt with Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Bush said, "When I looked in Putin's eyes, I saw somebody I could work with." Mm-hmm. O- Obama said. I see somebody I can work with. And Trump not only saw somebody he could work with, he saw an ally in, in his own inspirations to be, be a strong man. Yeah. John McCain, the Republican Party went down the tubes when John McCain died because he was the a lion of justice. I always said there were two lions of justice in the political system. One was on the Democratic side. His name was John Lewis. Well, John, yeah, I mean, John and, Lewis and is a, a John sin. McCain. John on, Lewis on is the Jesus sex coming. Yeah. <laughs> John McCain. Out of all of those people saying that, oh, Putin is somebody I can work with. John McCain made the statement. He said, "When I look in Putin's eyes, I only see one thing. I see KGB." Yeah. And he was correct. And all of those other guys were wrong. Well, if you want to give, I mean, give some credit to, you know, Mitt Romney, too. Mitt Romney oh, said, oh, 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 yeah, oh, 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 believe me. Okay, okay. Believe we're in that, yeah. I have given credit to him, but I also say that once John McCain died, Mitt Romney even scaled back. Because mm-hmm. he was at the forefront also. But after John McCain died, mm-hmm. he scaled back also. But so what I'm saying is about this Putin guy, we have to realize his intentions... Uh, he's he's made him known. Bring Russia back to his former glory. And believe it or not, that is not going to happen in this world without World War Three. Well, so I'd like I'd like to ask. You know, you um, what what you say I agree with a lot. You said you know you give what you give it of darkness, you let go from the light. Um, now, would you? I mean, I, I really I really thank God that this Ukraine conflict has gone how it's gone. As it has, and uh, you know, of course, it's needless, and none of these people needed to lose their lives, in my opinion. But uh, it's really inspiring to see this smaller nation, you know, defeating what was recently, maybe no longer, but what was recently a military superpower. Believed to be a military superpower. There are questions about where the intelligence assessments and what was going on there. But yeah, recently, sixty years ago, they, I mean, they were the, for sure the, the Red Army was the the largest, most powerful land army that ever was. Before, you know, they lost 26 million people or whatever. But, uh, um, 
but, but what I'm trying to what I'm trying to articulate here is um, it as a people as humans we have so much to lose. What is the balance between preserving things, justice, you know what I'm saying, and allowing this sort of chemical reaction to take place that leads us to those chemical reactions that we really don't want to take place, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's interesting. I mean, we haven't, we haven't had to really ask that question as a society in a while mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, the most recent time was, uh, I guess, those boats that ended up turning around down in the... Uh, down around Cuba, huh? Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, no, no, it was no, actually a closer more, time. I, no, was no, actually no, no, no. I, I, I didn't mean, I'm not talking about, I'm actually not super worried about the existential risk of nuclear holocaust, but um, I'm, ta- I'm talking about actually having to, to die for a belief. That's something that we haven't had to do. And it, it, it's actually like a really interesting phenomenon for society mm-hmm. because it, it, it inherently means that you, you believe in something that extends after your death number one. And like one of the things that we started out this, this kind of podcast talking about is like this idea that we used to think about future generations and now it's me, 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 and now it's tweet, yeah, tweet, tweet. That's, right. that, that should be where, where we simply think. Well, they say our, our generation, um, which is, I'm on the border of like Z and Y. I think you're probably Y. I'm a millennial. Millennial is, I think, Y. Yeah, I don't know the generations, but I know I'm a millennial. Uh, yeah, so I think millennials. I know baby boomers fucked everything up. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think I think the millennials were the first generation to not be defined like by a war, right? The Gen X I think was uh, was it the first Gulf Wars? Gen the one before was the uh, like Vietnam Korea sort of era, and then before that it was World War Two, and before it was World War One and so on and so forth. Um, but the uh, yeah, first probably more so at the end of the Cold War, but regardless, yeah. But for the for the generation as a whole, which is you know it's kind of silly, it's something to market to, but for the generation as a whole, it's the first time it wasn't defined by a war. Um, you know, when you ask people um, from your generation, they they talk about the Great War or they talk about Vietnam, but when you ask me from our our generation, it's like the internet. Um, it's maybe if you're an American, nine eleven, but like that's the 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 resulting um, wars. We're all fought by volunteers, and it didn't affect us as a society here in America. If you were over there, of course it did, but what I'm trying to say is um, I think maybe a, a reason why we do look so small scale and, and so internally and so little about the future is, um, like you were just saying, I'm agreeing with you, we haven't had something like to think of that was greater than ourselves. Well, we got a lot of crises going on. That's part of what we're talking about. Oh yes, that's part of what we're talking about. So why don't we pick a different crisis? I think we've, I think we've talked a lot about the Ukraine war. So we have climate change. The yeah. Ukraine so war. we we well. So I want to come back to climate change maybe at the end now that yeah. we've kind of yeah. talked a bit about these. But what do you want to? So so alligator. I'll throw this one to you. So I got protests. This is Iran and China. I got the economy. Stupid. And midterms. Choose your own adventure. Okay, the protests. Let's talk about the protests. Um, I don't know how many Americans are aware, but what, what this fragile thing we call democracy, which is still an experiment, you know, it's still an experiment, is in dire straits because there are elements, not only foreign elements, but also domestic elements, that they are one objective 
is to damage this thing we call democracy, to damage democracy. Um, we have politicians now who have inexplicably aligned themselves with uh, undesirable element, Nazis, Nazi type uh, of things. Um, and I don't think America is aware that there are certain elements, like I say, foreign and domestic, that are actively working to dismantle or weaken mm -hmm. what we call democracy. Not quite as optimistic as. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm no, just no, taking a joke. I'm just I, I, a joke. I am very optimistic. I'm just joking. Be because my attitude is, say, climate change and all of this stuff. Technology mm -hmm. from the beginning of the industrial age is what screwed up this planet. The the smoke from the factories and all of this, you know, this stuff that that we've been doing. The waters. Uh, dirty now, the, you know, all, mm -hmm. we've just screwed up stuff. It's gotten to the point now where my attitude is the only thing that can really save us mm -hmm. is technology. Mm -hmm. I think we have people who are smart enough, who are working to try to solve some of these problems, and the only way they can be solved now is through technology. T technology brought this, this situation on as far as climate change and things like that, and, and a social uh, uh, division mm -hmm. of all of that stuff. Technology was responsible for it, but technology is the only thing now that can also save us from it. Assuming, so two points on that. I agree, um, and we didn't actually touch on the protests at all there, but we can, we can pull on this thread for a little bit. I agree that technology and industrialization um, have consumed a very large amount of the resources of the planet to the point that we are at an unsustainable uh, precipice. Um, however, a counter-argument that you'll read um, from a lot of people that probably affiliate with the other end of the political spectrum than you, and I do think it's important to have a diverse political spectrum in a democracy. You can't just have a democracy if it's like, well, everyone votes and agrees with me. Like, you need to facilitate you know, the attitudes of everybody, and that's, that's why it's an experiment, that's why it's hard. Um, would argue that uh, industrialization has massively improved our quality of life. Like, we're sitting here in this, you know, beautiful little apartment, you guys drove here in a car, you were able to get... So, so there, there are kind of two sides to the story yeah. there. But uh, I, uh, yes, yes, yes. Well, it's not, it's not bad. I think what Dad was saying is the technology sort of caught, like, gave us the ability to... It gave us enough rope to hang ourselves, but it also can give us enough rope to you know, save ourselves at the same time. Like the, the, the industrial engine, the whole uh, uh, fossil fuel thing, which is fuel, this, these uh, advancements that we made. Mm -hmm. Technology will also save us from that the, by going to clean energy and things like that. Things, things that, that will continue uh, our advancement as human beings, but in a more Sustainable. Sustainable way for the environment. Well, so, 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 so to the topic of, you know, I do think that there are, there are trends, which we've been talking about, like everything is, you know, on a continuum, there's history before it, there's future after it. Um, but then there are things that punctuate or meaningfully change the course. And like, 
you know, with finite time and attention and resources, like we have the ability to change things as individuals and as a society. We don't have infinite ability, but we have some ability. Mm-hmm. And there are times when something meaningful like that happens. You know, even like the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February, I believe it was. That may have been part of all these trends and something, but that was a news event. I mean, the fact that Russia is now across the border and they're marching on Kiev, you know, so there are things that come up in the news. I, I read a John Stewart quote one time. It was, the problem with the 24-hour news network is that an average day only about seven minutes of actual news happens. But there, there, are, there is seven minutes of actual news. And on the climate change front, I mean, one of the things that does seem to be getting some of this momentum is this, this Washington Damage Fund. Are you guys familiar with this? So they, they had the recent, um, the recent uh, climate conference which they have every year coming out of the Paris Agreement where we agreed to try to limit warming to about a degree and a half Celsius, which is pretty catastrophic, but it's yeah. you know, not fully catastrophic. We're at about 1.1 right now. Um, and I mean, you can see it. Like, I drove to, down to L.A. in the Central Valley. I mean, people are at 5% of their water allocation that was set back in the you know, 1890s or something from the Colorado River. But right. to your point earlier of, like, long-term, you know, trends here and not being able to recognize them. I mean, the short-term trends are also becoming, you know, increasingly clear. But with the climate change thing, um, which is one of the reasons I think we're starting to see action and, and see, see attitudes changing, and I do think that the existential nature of this is becoming clearer to more people, and that's kind of prompting some urgency. It's prompting a lot of fear. But this loss and damage fund, you know, we had the recent conference this year. Last year was a big one where they, every five years, people kind of update their, their pledges. And so last year, mm-hmm. we had a lot of traction. This year, no one really thought anything was going to happen. And one of the other big problems with climate change is if you look, you know, historically um, at who's emitted the most greenhouse gases that have led to the situation that we're in. It's the industrialized world, right? Because that's what produced it. And it's the, and those countries have become very wealthy as a part of that. And then countries that have not industrialized, that are still developing, are in the global south. And they're the ones that are going to bear the worst effects of this, both because they're poor and because of where they are. Yeah. There, there is a social aspect to climate change. Absolutely. And it's always the poor and underprivileged who pay the highest price for it. Right. In fact, you can judge pollution by zip codes. By well, zip why do you codes. think there's so many nice trees out in Salsalito here? We got redwoods. Well, you know, something that's really <laughs> interesting that I didn't know for a long time, but <clears throat> the reason why you always hear about the east side of cities, you'll hear about the south side too, but the reason why you always hear about the east side of cities is the um, planet rotates away from that. And so if you have... In the Northern Hemisphere, yes. Yeah, so all pollution is going to blow in that direction. We would have not in the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, Coriolis effect, but we can get into that, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> where we live here, it rotates away from that. Well, I mean, it's still rotating in the same direction. Anyway, so everything blows into the, uh, the eastern parts of cities. And so you see it, you see it on a, a smaller level even within our community, but then on the grander scale, the countries that really created all this mess profited off of a lot of it and now you know we're imposing these regulations on companies that are countries that never had the opportunity to profit off of it but uh, well so, so this is where this, this, yeah, so this is the new like I think it was maybe three four years ago and this also like I consider myself a very educated guy and a consumer and as I started to kind of think about this project and try to do some work preparing for this I'm like wow like my history is like you know it's it's rough like I was thinking you know about the climate change thing how at a certain point of a population will kill us. Like that that's just a fact, right? Like I don't know. Yes, you could argue if the number is forty billion or eight billion. Tipping point, We're right. at the tipping point. But my point is like no one would debate 
the notion that at a certain point there's too many people and you run out of resources. Like that just is objectively true and you're debating where you are on that spectrum. And we, we had this panic, I think it was in the 80s, although I, again, my history's not as up to date as maybe you know it should be, um, although it's probably better than most people's, which scares me. Um, we, we thought we were gonna run out of food. We thought that literally, you know, once we got to six or seven billion people or something, we, we literally would not, there was not enough land in the world to produce the level of food that was required. And there was this, this thing that happened called the Green Revolution, and I'm not up to date on the exact specifics, but we basically unlocked the ability to be, like, I think 20 to 40% more productive in agriculture. And that enabled us to not actually be experiencing mass famines right now. If that had not happened in the 80s, literally just at the level, you know, and there's poverty and there's inequality and there's all these problems, but literally there would be mass famines for a quarter of the planet if this Green Level re Revolution hadn't happened. Um, and so that's just a, an aside about kind of the importance of understanding history and context here and, and how little we really know and really think about that um, and, and how poorly educated we really are about some of the stuff that's happened. But so back to my original point, I think about three years ago, maybe at one of these conferences, they basically said, all right, you know, rich countries are going to need to fund $100 billion a year um, to poor countries to help poor countries transition to clean energy. Now, clean energy's gotten a lot cheaper. Um, one of the things, too, that you hear about clean energy, and it, I, I geek out about this climate change stuff as well, it's not grid resilient, you know, so the sun only shines at certain points in time, um, you know, the wind only blows at certain points in time, you need power all the time, so, you know, this isn't going to work. Um, maybe if you had giant batteries for the grid, you could do that, there's some work in this area, um, but we're not there yet, and so a lot of people in the U.S. anyway, they kind of poo-poo it, they're like, this can never work. Well. And actually, I just learned this the other day. I was at a, I was at a networking event talking to a guy who um, works for the Italian utility, which I guess is the largest utility in the world. And he was saying, actually, that's a problem with the American grid. He's like, the amount of renewables that you can take in the German grid or that you can take in the Italian grid is far higher because the American grid is just designed really, really poorly. Yeah. Um, and so my point to this is like, when we help these countries industrialize, it actually just makes sense to do it with clean energy at this point. Because you start with that yeah. in mind. It's and it's cheaper. It's literally the cheapest form per megawatt hour. And there are intermittency problems and stuff you need to figure out, but it's literally the cheapest energy. And these are sunny places. They're windy places. You can start from kind of ground zero and actually build these societies as clean societies. So, so this was the funding that wasn't happening. So people weren't very bullish on this idea that anything was going to happen here because these larger countries weren't ponying it up. And this year there's been a lot of traction coming out of it um, that people want to set up this fund, a, a trillion dollar fund I think, which is real money. Um, that's, that's A trillion dollars is real money um, to really help out these poorer countries. And so it's interesting to me because that is a, that's a news event in and of itself. That's a sea change. That's not where we were. And then I was just reading the other day and I need to dig a bit more into it that like they think maybe we can stop the warming at like 1.7 degrees or something like that, right? Um, which is huge. I mean, like you know, compared to the 2.5, so right? yeah, 2.5. And so, I mean, there's. But my point is, like, there, there's some trends here again. Like back to the hope point, you know, we kind of need to be on it and maybe make some sacrifices or just think about stuff differently. But even on the climate change front, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff happening. Um, for sure. Well, I know. I mean, this is maybe an old statistic. I don't know how dated it is, but I know. I believe every hour. Or excuse me. I don't. I forget if it was in a day or in an hour, but I know enough energy hits our planet to power either in a day or an hour the whole, you know, planet at its current energy consumption oh, for, for sure. the year. Yeah. Now the problem with that is you know seventy five percent is covered by water. Okay, so you need four hours or four yeah. days. But still, it's it's a problem that has solutions. Um, 
and we're definitely trending like the 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 um, the efficiency or efficacy of these solar panels. Yeah, for photovoltaics. Yeah, for sure. Are, uh, Which are of course all made in China. And we have a huge supply chain issue with that, but that's separate. But that's the other separate. So you know, I, I think things like the Paris Accords um, that can show us working together towards a common goal for the greater good. Um, these are the sort of things that drive. People like yourself to be as positive. Yeah, well, because I mean, I put it the same way as the the same thing with the Ukraine war. Is like there is a trend that was wired off a cliff, mm -hmm. and it, it got to a, a kind of a breaking point, and it, it changed direction. Now, does that mean that it's always going to continue? Like it was going here, it needs to boomerang. So like maybe we took a thirty degree turn to the left or something. But like hey, if we were full steam ahead off the cliff and we took a 30 degree turn that's a good start right you know and there's some momentum behind it and that's how i read the climate change thing in the same way mm. yeah things like you know the chlorofluorocarbons and chlorofluorocarbons cfc's yeah things like uh you know ukraine and russia so um we hit i want to anchor i want to talk and i don't know how much time we have so we can we can go quick or we can go slow I want to talk about these protests in China and Iran. I, I was just pretty interested. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, podcast. what do you got? About, what do you got on the protests? Um, well, I do think it's really interesting. Well, that, wait, your dad was talking. Yeah, let um, the old man speak. Yeah. I love your background, by the way. You big skier? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh no, no. no I, I was uh, like, they don't got a lot of snow or mountains in Louisiana, no. but. <laughs> what do we there, got on protests? There, there's yeah. two systems. The two systems that are. Uh, Available is uh, how you say authoritarian the system yeah. or the free, world, yeah. the free world, as we, as we call it. Um, the authoritarian system uh, is the power that runs it is control, mm -hmm. control of, of, of the population. Now, people can say the capitalist system does that also. Mm. Well, of course, in certain ways, but there's no comparison mm. between an authoritarian government and what we have here. Yeah. People, uh, there's m much of the world now which wants to move toward freedom. I, I agree with you. I very they much agree with you. They want to move toward freedom, and they uh, say in China, Iran, Turkey, mm -hmm. places like that, if you give those people the option, they would all choose to be in, in a free country. Mm -hmm. So these protests and all these things that are going on, if there's going to be more of those in, mm -hmm. in these totalitarian countries. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more. And you know, it's going to get to a point where they can't stop it. They're not going to be able to, to stop it, even as brutal as they can. Because they're starting to be pretty, I mean, they're shooting a lot of people in Iran. Oh, oh. And, China started to try to do their crackdown and, thing. And here's the thing. They're mm -hmm. killing people. They're ki people yeah, they kill still, a lot of people. But yeah. these people are still hitting the streets and, and, and doing it. Do you think in, in America, if we allow our, our soldiers to go out and shoot the civilians? We got a lot more guns, too. Our civilians would be shooting the shoulders. How many people <laughs> think would still be out on the streets in America? None. After being killed. Uh, I mean, the most recent time, like, the Kansas State shooting, and the next day, people were out in mass. But that was also 60 years yeah, ago. Yeah, but you, I and mean, that, that, was, that, was, that, was a, that, was, that was an overzealous National Guard. You know, that wasn't like, you know, the, it was a sanction. It was a sanction. Yeah, yeah it's not state sanctioned On a scale of yeah. 1 to 10 for these type of things, 
that was barely a one. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the United States, for the United States, was a ten. No, but if that's because he's, we trying, he's trying, trying to draw the comparison to what these folks are. Oh, well, he can't. He can't. He can't picture the world. Yeah. That was barely a one. So you're in, saying if in, that in other countries, uh, it's nothing to, to kill eighty or a hundred people if they have to 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 keep the pop the populace down. But they're still coming out. But so let, let me let me kind of bring this back to the whole project of the hundred year time horizon because yeah. I like the way that you anchored it around this idea that like we used to think about future generations and what that means and, and, and like one thing that I, I think we're not very good at acknowledging and kind of owning up to it's it's something I've done a lot of personal work on and you know it's just acknowledging that I'm going to die and being like okay with that fact which like. It, it is absolutely obvious unless you're a complete egomaniac, but you are going to die, and it could be now. I mean, a fucking nuclear weapon or meteor or whatever could hit us, you could die, in a, or like, you could hopefully live a long time, but we are going to die, which means that like, and when we die, the world isn't gonna give a shit. I'm sorry, like there are people the that care about the world's, the world's gonna continue, that's how life works. And we'll decompose and our atoms will become, you know, trees or garbage or whatever they become, but it, that orientation implies something bigger than ourselves, that there, there are values, there are things that matter that are bigger than ourselves. And that orientation means that if you really believe that, like you have to be willing to die for it, right? Because you're, you're saying there, there are things that are bigger than me. And it's interesting because on the one hand, like these are really brutal regimes, but like think about D-Day, think about when we invaded, and I'm not talking about the Red Army losing 27 million people and they have all sorts of crazy trauma around that, like just the Americans, like, the idea that, like, to get into France, I think we lost, like, 7,000 people oh, or something oh, yes. died on that one day. We sent 30,000 troops, or I, someone can check my numbers on that. Well, just imagine, like, you're, like, the third wave, and, like, you get yeah. to this beach, and you just see, like, But, the, but that, that force, when it's motivated by values that, like, really deeply matter, is mm-hmm. unstoppable. That is the key. Mm-hmm. That, that is it. That is it. Yeah. Um, and to find those, finding those values these days mm-hmm. is difficult. But do you not think that those aren't just like kind of in some ways like deeply inherent like human values? Because that's what I think is going on. And you're seeing it in the in the protests. Yeah, that's there's this collective thing that's like I'm done. You know. You know, in Iran, what they are doing, those athletes who refuse to sing the The national national anthem. anthem, Yeah. When they get home, they're in big trouble. Well, their families. Yeah. Just gonna say that because they might not go home, but there's people back there. When you have people who if you do something, not only do you pay, but your family pays. I'll give you an example. Uh, Vinman, here in America, mm-hmm. Vinman, uh, Colonel Vinman, or whatever his name was, who. Uh, I'm not actually familiar with this guy, so I'm excited to learn something new. <laughs> uh, someone who blew the whistle on something that Donald Trump was doing. Blew the whistle on it. Oh, okay. He, he was a, a soldier. Uh-huh. And Trump decided to have him fired. Mm-hmm. But his brother was also in the military service, his twin brother. Mm-hmm. And he had him fired too, even though he did nothing. This is this is totalitarian stuff. This is not Yeah, you on a smaller scale. Yeah, on a smaller But it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So what I want Americans to, to know is that there are active uh, people, foreign and domestic, mm-hmm. who are actively trying to destroy this great thing that we call democracy. 
and we need we need to keep that that in mind. Um, I think that I think the vigilance is key there because yes. the the price that's required to pay when that gets out of hand is big. I mean, right. it's, it's really big, well, and for yeah. us, it's it's not. I mean, yeah. and yeah. you know, I, again, like I come back. So if we if we kind of look at the we we look at the protests, right, and like literally, I mean, and it's scary. Most people can't. Um, in some ways, to me, it's like in World War II, no one, I mean, I'm sure people were, were worried and sad and stuff, but like as a country, you know, and some of this is maybe our own propaganda spin on it, but I, I believe like pretty strongly that people were like, no, this is our duty. We're going to go do this. And like, yeah, maybe I'm going to die. Well, before before we entered the war, there was a big anti-war movement. Yeah, But sure. like once we were in it, sure. we were all in it. Yeah, we okay. were all in it. So, so there's a question of how we got there, but we got to this point. And once where, we got there, yeah, we were all in it. Where we, we were full send. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and um, you know, in in these other societies, like that is the the price that they're required to pay. But if you think about it, it's like that. That's not like these big problems aren't that intimidating if you face them together. In some regards, like that would be terrifying to be like, oh, I, I'm Donnie, I'm just gonna go get killed in France. But like when all of your friends, like when your friends, are it, it's a group. It's a group psychology. It's it's a collective thing. Right. And the the thing is that these these governments, these authoritarian governments, like governments exist at the at some extent based off of the consent of the people and like it, it takes a lot of pushing back when things get really bad and, and if and if the protests in Iran are able to be successful thousands of people will die maybe tens of thousands I don't think hundreds of thousands though I, I think a lot fewer people will probably die you know in the Iranian protests than you know Americans died in World War II or something like that but it does just kind of bring up like to me I just look at those as similar you can have this thing where a society coalesces around these values that really matter and is willing to make sacrifices for them. And when they do that, you can get an, an immense amount of stuff done. And we just haven't seen a lot of that since World War II. But, yeah, you know, all these trends that I'm kind of tying together, yeah, I think, you yeah. know, have meaning. Yeah, that's, that's what makes me optimistic. Mm -hmm. And like I said, one of the things that needs to happen is we need to let the young generation take over. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the leaders of, of, of the world now uh, look at them. They're old-ass men. Look at who's leading the protest, though. Young people. Yeah. Young people. Women it, in a lot of cases, too, the, which is interesting. Somebody, recently somebody said something. They said Clint Eastwood made some political statement. Okay, Clint Eastwood has always been far. He's, far, what, 87 years old or something? Far, right. Yeah, he did the chair. And the, the response to him, which I just applauded, was Clint Eastwood said, what? <laughs> Come on, the man's 150 years old. Yeah, Who gives a shit what he yeah. says? You know, okay. the the old generation needs to get out of the way, and we need to to let the young people take over because your generation, Donnie's generation, those that are coming behind them, they are not at all about racism or any of the things that have been problems in this country. We we have a, a there's great hope to make America what it has always supposed to have been. Right. The constitution of this country is a great document. It's like phenomenal no document. other document that's ever been. It's a phenomenal, and it's in, in human history. Slight edits, important edits. In edits. Human yeah, history. important edits, right. for sure. And, and still and, some misinterpretation. And I say that we, we haven't lived up to that document but we are all, but as Americans, we are always working toward it. Mm -hmm. um, 
The American Constitution is just an amazing document. You know, yeah. an amazing document. There's never been anything like it in human history. Yeah, it, was, it was kind of the culmination of like a few different things, but this idea that um, you know we can have a place where where the people are in control of the government, but you know you don't have to go out every day and get in a forum and vote. This representative democracy that we've had that uh, is, is was really unique at the time. Um, all these years later, um, is now the pinnacle of what you know freedom of and justice and liberty can embody. Uh, and I think it's important that we still stand for that because there's so much we have to offer. Oh, it's super critical. I mean, yeah. we have a good, we have a good foundation. Yeah. Uh, just to your point though about the younger generations, I agree with like Donnie, my friend here. He's a he's a good man. I'll, I'll put him in charge of some stuff. Appreciate it. But uh, I'm worried about the kids even younger than that, just because they're on all these phones and stuff. Like it's really it it could just take a big ice cream scoop well, out I, of our brain. I think the. Uh, We can't put the put the air heads in, into office, and, and I don't think that, that 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 would happen. But we have enough young people who are politically sharp. Here's here's what I see. What I see about the phones is what I don't like phones. I'm I'm really anti phone. I that's a good thing. But what I see about the phones, I like what, voicemails though. I do love voicemails. Uh, what I see about the phones is what they said about my generation with the TV. It's probably what they said about your generation with the radio. Yeah, but it's, it's, more, they said it's more intrusive. It's it is. More it is. Well, I mean, you know, TV is what killed the radio. It's way more intrusive, and so is, you know, yeah, video games and so on right. and so forth. But, you know, what I'm saying is, is what I'm saying is, is every generation says the previous generation was old and stuffy and didn't understand how the world works, and then the next generation is full of debauchery and they do a bunch of self-reflective shit. I'm not worried that about always debauchery. Happens. I'm worried about the ability to... Because a lot of this stuff comes back to, like, the ability to have emotional and, like, spiritual resilience and not be, like, so knocked around by a whole lot of this stuff. Gotcha. You know, like, even being able to, like, being, being like, a values-oriented person is hard. It requires that you're deeply in control of yourself, that resolve. you're willing to, yeah, it requires a lot of resolve. Right. And a lot of, the reason that I'm worried about these phones and stuff is because it, it undermines the development of a lot of that stuff. Because it is, it's just triggering. I mean, and TV does too, but again, it's so much, like my uncle's got young kids. He's mm -hmm. got, you know, six-year-old kids and like, you know, he tries to keep them off phones, but like one of them is like deeply, deeply addicted to like literally like trying to break into like laptops and, you know, guess passwords and like that's all he's doing all day. And it's like, you know, these things are designed, it's like, it, they're like mint cigarettes or something. I mean, they know no. what they're doing. Like they're trying to, you know, get, you know, get them while they're young and get people addicted. And when your brain is still forming around that, I'm more, I don't know, I'm worried about that one. The, the, the television, radio, there was one thing that they had in place that is not in place on the modern media, is you couldn't get on the radio and lie. You couldn't get on the radio and, 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 and spread misinformation. Uh, uh, just, just, I mean, flat out information and stuff because people would, you know, people were thinkers back then. Mm -hmm. Now I'm finding out, I've, I've got lots of friends who I have known some for 40, 50 years. And the last six years, mm -hmm. they have turned from normal thinking Americans. I had this who, experience who the other day with a good friend of mine. Who would question with the, Yeah, no, for sure. Now they don't question anything. They read it on the internet and like parrots. 
they go around and repeat it. Yeah. Without doing any checking to see is this true or is this not? Blah blah blah. We, we always were. You know, that was a part of of, of education back when I was coming up. Mm -hmm. You know, you you check stuff. Now, mm -hmm. uh, people who live in those echo chambers. I had a friend of mine uh, from Nevada. He tell me we were talking one day, and he said, "Alligator, you have to get your uh, head out of CNN." And I looked at him and I said, "My friend." I said, do you ever watch CNN? He goes, no, I don't watch it because I'm a lover. I said, so you only watch Fox News? He said, yes. Mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, this, here's the difference. I watch Fox News. Mm -hmm. I watch CNN. MSNBC. BBC. BBC. Japanese News. Al Jazeera. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah. I watch all of them. Because that's the only way you can be truly informed about what people are doing. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, what, if you do what I do, then you can see that there are certain media outlets which almost always lie. I gave an example. You brought up the guy, Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson, yeah. Tucker Carlson was sued by a lady for defamation of character. Mm -hmm. And she lost her suit. But the reason she lost her suit was because the judge stated, this is documented, mm -hmm. he stated, you can't sue Tucker Carlson for lying because he seldom tells the truth on the ship. Yeah, the, the they said his, uh, he seldom tells the truth. <laughs> they set him up as a, a news program, but he's not. It's an mm -hmm. opinion piece. Right. So you can't sue him for lying because he seldom tells the truth anyway. Mm -hmm. Back when I was coming up, you couldn't have a program like that. The we were people, masquerading the, as news. The people would never but, put up with something yeah. like that. You know? So, some of the some of the changes that have happened is that people have dumbed down. I think. Mm -hmm. I think the generation have sort of dumbed down. Yeah. Well. So there. Yeah. I mean. I think there's. You know. It's. It's like a headwaters of rivers, and you got like a muddy river and a a clean river or something like that. And I mean, there is a there's a collision of these trends, right? Because on the one hand, we're talking about being optimistic and this like kind of human spirit. You know. That's that's making a comeback. And on the other hand, we're talking about things like, you know, blatant lying and really intrusive technology. I, I want to bring up this article that I was reading this morning. So, you know, I, I kind of came up with the, the five subjects that I proposed. Again, the, yeah. the Ukraine war, protests, economy, midterms, climate change. Uh, we haven't really hit on the economy. We talked a bit about yes, the midterms. Please, please. So I, I, I was kind of reading the, um, the, the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, and uh, it's the Wall Street Journal, literally. I mean, it's, you know, it, you, you could not say this is more about the coverage of money and what's happening in the economy if you try. That's literally what it's meant to do. And it's read by, you know, most successful corporate executives keep up with it. I keep up with it, um, you know, for work. They also do cover news very well in many cases. But I read this interesting article today. And I, I, I would say it's like somewhere between like kind of an opinion piece and a, and a, a news piece. Um, and it was, it, it I should have dug it up and written it down, but it was something like inequality is good for the stock market. Mm -hmm. And I was reading through the article, and essentially the premise of the article, which is true, is that the more inequality you have, the more wealth you have that needs to be invested in the stock market, which drives up, um, which drives up global or, or drives up wealth on paper, financial wealth. And if you look at the the growth of wealth over the last twenty years, most of it has been financial growth. It's not been growth in real assets. It's been growth in these financial instruments like the stock market, like debt, like various 
things like that, that are held by a very small amount of people who then need to reinvest that money. And it, it was funny because the article didn't really take a position on it, but if it did take a position, it was kind of like, hey, you should actually be okay with inequality because it's good for the stock market. And so I found this to be an interesting article. Um, and I think we're at an interesting point with the economy right now because everything we kind of know and understand about it doesn't make any sense. Like on the one hand, we have like really high inflation and the Fed raising rates. On the other hand, that's supposed to tank the labor market. You, you've started to see that a little bit. Companies mm -hmm. have started to do some layoffs, but by and large, I mean the unemployment rate is, is super, super low yes, right now. Yes, right. yes. So, so there's just a lot of so so we have those kind of things going on. We have things where you know very very wealthy people are doing very well. People that are in the middle class are you know eroding more and more. And and the bottoms. Yeah. Bottoming and, out. And the bottoms bottoming out. Um, and on the one hand, we have huge amounts of wealth being created on paper. On the other hand, we have the planet being destroyed in order to support that. So it's it's an interesting point in time um, for the. I'm curious what you. I, I can talk about the economy all day, but I'm curious what you guys kind of make of, of what's going on in the economy right now. Um, well, the first thing is I think back to the 24th of February um, and the things that have happened since then. There's a war that doesn't help. Right, um, <laughs> but you know, I, 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 you go to the gas station, you see these stickers. It's like, oh, thanks, Joe Biden. But, you know, you look around at the, the global prices of oil, and you see that we stack up pretty well, actually. Um, you look at, like, global inflation rates, and, like, you know, we're, we're not the best, but we're definitely pretty far from the worst. And, you know, of course, yeah, you know, like America... Yeah, Britain's over 10%, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Britain's way over 10%. I mean, right. They, their prime minister got churned. Liz Truss lasted <laughs> all of about three weeks. Yeah, three yeah. days, more like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, uh, you know, the U.S. yeah, sets a lot of these trends, but <clears throat> also we are still susceptible to the ways of the world, and uh, it's just it's. I think this just sort of goes back to your original point that what this whole really podcast is about is you know people take such a, a narrow scope that yeah. sometimes they just can't even look past the shoes on their feet. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like you, if you look at if you just take one second to sit back and look outside of your own backyard outside of that old Facebook group that you're, mm -hmm. you know, getting mad with your buddies about that made Meta a lot of money, um, you'll see that, you know... Meta's not making a lot of money anymore. Those days are gone. Sorry, I had to knock Meta. Uh, hey, man, knock them all day. Knock them all day. But, you know, you'll see that if you take a step back and you widen your scope, you see that, you know, we are still a part of this greater world and um, the things that are happening in America, a lot of times are results of, you know, conflicts or... Uh, you know, super PACs or like whatever the case may be, um, it's a lot more than just, and I think that's a big reason why our, we're sort of going down, but the labor market hasn't been affected in the same way. Yeah. It's because I mean, there's a lot of these external factors. Yeah, I mean, it's cyclical. We're definitely at the end of the cycle. That's taken a while. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think, Alligator, though, because you've seen more economies than, than Donnie yeah. and I over here. Put together. You know what? Yeah, but we've only seen the same one, too. Well, the American economy rises or falls on the what the people believe. Mm -hmm. Hear him out. What the Hear the man out. What the people believe. Um, I'll give you an example. We got a president now in office who is being blamed for the gas prices being down and this you know we can't get this, we can't get that. We just went through almost a couple of years of being locked down. Mm -hmm. The supply lines have been down for a couple of years. We had a big, uh, horrible winter. Mm -hmm. 
which froze in Texas. All of the, uh, 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 everything was frozen. Mm -hmm. They weren't prepared for a winter like that in Texas. Their oil was stopped. Um, there's many reasons why we're in the condition that we're in, and it doesn't have very much to do with one politician. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's, but, but it's like you're saying, when you listen to one news station and another news station, you would never know that. Mm -hmm. Because, say, Fox News might have a, a, a their portrayal of everything is, is, Joe, is the Democrats' fault that we, we don't have gay, we don't have this, we don't. Uh, let's look at it from a realistic view. Look at look at what happened. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, the, the the pandemic turned everything upside down. And as Americans, we are wusses mm -hmm. because the rest of the world is suffering too, and they are all suffering worse worse than what we are. Well, well, that's an interesting thing because on the one hand, we do have a lot of inequality, probably more than most people. I mean, like. I think in the old days, you know, after World War II, I think the average CEO pay relative to employee was something like 10 to 1, maybe 20 to 1. Now it's, you know, 500 to 1, 1,000 to 1, something like that. So, I mean, most people just at a basic level would probably say that's not a good way to set up a society. Um, so, so that's one kind of thing that's going on. But on the other hand, like, you know, I, I, two, two quick points I want to make there. One, actually, you kind of alluded to the, the terrible winter in Texas and like that having an impact. And increasingly this climate change stuff is having an impact. Like one story that didn't get covered a lot in China's economy, speaking of economies, is totally in the shitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have a lot to this. Well, they, they're in, I mean, talk about China's economy. China's economy, they're in lockdowns, mm -hmm. which is absolutely terrible. And actually, I think these initial protests were actually happening at a factory in China, um, a Foxconn factory that makes most of the components for the iPhone. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, in addition to that, they uh, have a heavily indebted property sector. Like, 20, like most of their GDP growth at this point, they're moving from a developing economy that supplied the entire world to a developed economy where you need a middle class and an upper class that spends and that's how your economy grows. And what a lot of what they a lot of what that spending was on, I think about twenty percent of their GDP is on real estate. And one of the stories that kind of slipped people's, you know, a lot of people's attention, some people that were paying attention was maybe a year ago, I think it was, or, or eight months ago, one of their largest construction companies basically just completely went under and missed like a payment on a three hundred billion dollar bond or something like that. Like they're so heavily indebted in their property sector and all this. Um, and, and a lot of that, is, again, is, is people don't want to have kids because of the authoritarian government and like their demographics are tanking. Like they're going to be 600 million people in, in 50 years. Yeah. And then they had a terrible drought. That was the other thing that nobody talks about. And like the, yeah, Yanks, yeah, yeah. I believe it was the Yangtze River was completely dry. Yes. And like, the, and so, so there are all these things that, you know, really connect. Yes, 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 yes. And everybody, uh, People's view of these things is so simple. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so simple, and they don't look at at all of this stuff that, that contribute to, to what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and to educate the public for that is a hard job mm -hmm. because the attention span is so so short. Right. Well, so, so that's why that's though like why I mean I'm such a big believer in stories because these are really interesting stories, and I think I think you know we've maybe done we, we just. Again, one thing that I really appreciate about Fox News is they are so effective at creating a narrative where everyone knows how to follow that narrative. Like they, I don't agree with most of those narratives, but like they are very good at setting yes, up the villains yes, and, yes, and they, yes. they get people hooked in. And like even that story I was talking about China, like 
there are, there's a lot of interest. I mean, real life is stranger than fiction, right? Like there's some really interesting stories here, but we need to we need to connect the pieces and the tapestries, and that's again why like I think this project is important to to you know take a longer term time horizon because when you actually zoom out, there's some really interesting stuff that's happening, and we're just so much more able to make sense of things and to remember things and to process information when it's when it's in narrative. There's biological reasons for that, but that's just true. So um, we've sort of touched on climate change and how you know how difficult it is to, to foresee this future, but how we even see it today, mm. you know, the, the, the potential future ramifications of, of what's happening if we don't take care of this environment we have. Um, we talked about the protests in Iran and China and how, um, you know, these authoritarian regimes that they, they might be finite, they might have a, a, an expiration date. And it seems like, you know, even though these, these affected people are being persecuted for speaking out, they're still speaking out nonetheless. Um, and we've talked about how um, you know, on the rest of these lists, right? The economy, how the bigger picture affects this thing today, but now all you see is the gas prices and a picture of well, a little Well, short term, the other point that I would make about that that's, is just, but that's too short term. That's yeah. sort of the, the, the trend of this, um, me listening out these conversation yeah. topics that we've touched on. Um, how now, you know, it, with the way that the media makes money, with the way that social media, how you drive engagement, mm. um, it doesn't seem like it'd be possible to... Um, make financial sense out of out of building longer narratives, more complex narratives that are more difficult and time consuming to digest, but that are ultimately a lot more effective at showing people uh, a more holistic view of the truth. You know what I'm saying? Like I could say, put it, put it. I would put it this way. I would say like, well, so how how would you like surmount that 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 obstacle, right? To go or, from you know something that's important to be consumed to something that's more you know manageable and more Profitable. I, 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 think, I, like, I, I think it's art, honestly, like mm -hmm. if I had to summarize it. Because there's a very high demand for emotional resonance and emotional connection. I, I can try, I, I give you like kind of two examples. I'd say like there's, do you know why fast food, one of the reasons why fast food is so addictive and why we eat so unhealthy in this country mm -hmm. is because um, sugar, salt, and fat are things that our bodies are trained that they need in order to survive because they're highly energy dense, the salt helps keep us hydrated. Mm -hmm. And so we have a whole food industry that's devoted to making really cheap, totally unsustainably produced stuff like fast food or Cheez-Its or whatever right. that get very addictive and people eat them and there's this instant gratification, but longer term it's really bad for our bodies, it's bad for our happiness. But then there's also great cuisine. There's great cuisine that's healthy and it, it has it has an inherent quality to it, mm -hmm. and there's a demand for that. Now you need to you need to create the space to consume that. But that's kind of how I look at it. I do think there's a I do think there's a demand because I think all of the whole way that the system has been architected, and the way that we consume this information right now is triggering those short-term biological you know impulses of basically fear and anger because that kept us alive. But right. that doesn't mean that we don't have an additional capacity. It does mean that we do need to start to create a a, a a series of you know products, honestly, uh, and products in the in the most macro way you could apply that, like finite finite things for us to consume with our time, like news. Like we need to rethink the way that we consume news. We probably need to rethink the way we consume food. But it all comes down to this idea that there's this inherent, you know, there's this inherent human spirit that is not being that on the one hand is having an interesting moment in the zeitgeist, and will respond. I think if we create enough 
stuff over here just leading a little bit ahead. I, I really, I don't, I guess I just don't buy the argument that people won't respond to it. I think we just haven't tried or we haven't done it effectively. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Write it, provide it, and they will come. Yes. A little bit, yeah. I mean, that's what art is, right? Yeah, yes, it's true. You know, but you don't see a lot of, uh, well, I don't, the the trend for art right now is really interesting. I'm not talking about you know the beautiful paintings you have around or the mm -hmm. home, but uh, you know um, <clears throat> even that is something that's being almost captured and like quantified and and, and tainted in a way. Like if you look well, at the post, that, for if sure. you look at like the post like Marvel mm -hmm. era of like movies, I think Matt Damon said it best. Where like if you're not making you know a hundred million dollars in the box office, like you really can't come with anything. Of, of substance, you know what I'm saying? Like you're very limited in what you can bring because you know people don't go out get out of bed for anything less than like two Golden Globe winners and a couple explosions nowadays, you know. Um, and especially when you can just you know watch something on TV or stream, you know something that sits in your living room and you pay seventy nine seven ninety nine a month for. Um, it's it's almost difficult to create anything um, and you know put money behind anything that's not guaranteed to be successful. Well, again, would you I would say that would apply to no, because I think I think this is where it requires strong leadership and, and leadership to create and promote the institutions of society that teach people how to be strong citizens. Like you can't look at any of this stuff in a vacuum. But like one of the things that's very interesting to me is that uh, time is far more finite than money. Mm -hmm. And yet you'll see people spending all of their time trying to make money. And learning how to effectively use your time and actually do things that derive enjoyment and create, you know, good outcomes for the people you care about, it's a skill. And it's a skill we're not very good at as a society, but that, like, you see my skis on the wall over here, right? Like, yeah, those are some nice skis, you know, it cost a thousand bucks or something, but, like, what that represents is it, it, it represents this whole world of time and experience. And, like, yeah, I could sit around and watch the Netflix movie or whatever, but I would be less happy because those things out there exist, and I know to go look for them, and so it's this push and pull of, like, creating the stuff and, and just drawing attention to the stuff that exists that will bring us greater fulfillment, greater happiness, a stronger society, That's what and educating doing. people how to consume that. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, you know, creating something just for the, uh, because, because it's important, not necessarily because it needs to be consumed. Mm -hmm. You create something with the intent to create something valuable that is a contribution to society, and other people will recognize that and create something that's useful. Yeah. Like well, at a certain level, you have to just believe in utility, right? Uh, not for art, though. We're talking about art. Well, I mean, I, I think the usefulness of art is that it's emotionally resonant. You know, I'm expanding the definition a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's fair. So what I do you think, think we're, what are your thoughts? yeah we're we're kind of coming to the end of the sun. I mean I'll I'll keep going for this all day. I think we've kind of touched on these um, on these topics. I mean the, my, my I, the thing on the midterms that I again like I kind of said it at the beginning and, and I kind of touched on it with the economy is like you know I think we need to congratulate ourselves on on doing a, an okay job and not self combusting as a society. I mean and I, I think that. Um, I, I think that the midterms left me very hopeful. And again, like I happen to agree with the political outcome, um, but I and I understand that there are people that were probably disappointed with it, and that's fine. And that's a democracy. I mean, if yeah. a two-party democracy is probably not the right balance, but if you have two parties in a democracy, one's going to win, one's going to lose, and they trade off. And right. hopefully, there's an exchange of ideas and a productive 
and maybe we can have a future conversation around that of how do we actually get back to having productive dialogues. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think that like they just kind of, I, I think that we should just, they were a non-event, you know? Like, they, they, there was all this kind of tension and hype around. The build-up. Like, yeah, the build-up. And it kind of happened, and it's like, you know what? Like, things aren't that bad. And even with the, everyone's like, well, the Democrats are going to get thrown out of the economy, or out of the power because the economy's terrible. The economy's not that bad. It's Especially really not. relatively. Relatively, yeah. yeah. Once going back to the Globe and the Times, yeah, it's like different, the same subject, but different. Uh, ways of perspective. Well, this is famous. The, the, we are not in as bad a shape as one political party tried to portray us. We're not. And the good thing is the American people saw through that, and right. they voted that way. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, you know, sometimes you can speak something into existence, uh, but this was one of those cases because I heard that phrase a lot. Um, there's a famous quote about seeing a picture and taking two different. Um, takes on it that almost bends the truth but not quite mm -hmm. um what the picture is is <clears throat> there's like a man running from another man with like some pointy shoes uh, and this is like shoes on our alligator <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> this is a difficult picture to sort of uh put into words but there's a man running away from another man with floating pointing shoes and then there's a guy with a camera and you can see on the viewfinder of the camera um that in this i don't know how to say it in this like capturing of this actual story, it looks like the pointy shoe is like a knife and the guy is running after the original guy. Basically, this is a really complicated, convoluted way to sort of illustrate things are not, things are not always as the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, a, a physical, I think I've told this story before, but a physical, uh, or excuse me, a personal anecdote I have that relates to this is I was uh, downtown San Jose in like around May or June of 2020 when there was a bunch of protests going on. Um, and I saw this woman in a car having an argument with somebody. Um, and then I see her put it into gear and punch it through this crowd of protesters and then be pulled out of the car by the police at gunpoint. And then this group of protesters descend on this car and mess it up. You know what I'm saying? I, I see this happen in person. I find the video of it online because mm -hmm. I was like, you know, this is something that stood out among a day full of events that stood out. And then I see a clip of this video and it's the same video from the same perspective of all these people descending on this car yeah. with skateboards and bats and sticks they yeah, have on the ground. Yeah, these are Right, and then yeah. I see the same video of uh, like, you know, they're not like the escalated argument, just some woman like punching it and then getting pulled out in the gunpoint and like all oh, these counter protesters or violently blah, blah, blah. And like you can, you know, the, the same video where you see the whole series of events um, unfold, you can take clips of it and create your own narrative around that. And it's technically kind of not lying. You know what I'm saying? And so th this is something that I see very, very consistently in the media. Like if you take the Globe and you take the Times or whatever, um, you can have the same series of events unfold, but you can tell them through different, you can tell, make narratives of them that sort of aid different, um, uh, <clears throat> aid different causes that you may have. And that's, that's, that's something that I could see an alternative news source really um, solving. If you look at something through the grand scheme of things, um, you look at the importance of things that happening 100 years ago, how they affect what's going on today, and how what affects today will affect mm -hmm. the future, um, you can start to take out these 
subjective interpretations and really, really try to get as honest and as close to reality uh, as and possible. And you, you have to be values driven. I mean, that's important, like genuinely values driven. Yes, 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 mm. yes. Well, one thing that we were talking about on the phone is how when you really boil things down, um, most of us have very similar values, right? We want to oh, yes. be oh, yes. cool, we want everyone to have enough, we want, um, you know, to do our own thing. To be valid, yeah, to do our own thing. To <laughs> for be dollars, we want the best thing for our families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you start looking at our approaches to solving these, and they seem so drastically different that you almost forget that we're trying to achieve the same goal. You know what I'm saying? And so boiling it down to, to the real core values that we have is a really, really good way to kind of find common ground and connect and then start building solutions together as opposed to just, you know, standing over here yelling across the aisle. Yeah. Um... Well, I think, I think we're coming to probably a good stopping place in yeah, case yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. have any more. But, um, yeah, I remember after the, the insurrection on the, you know, the, the January 6th, I, uh, it was actually pretty dramatic. You know, they, all the Congress people and senators went into hiding, and then they came back, and they were like, we're going to certify the votes tonight. And there were two yeah. objections, even though everyone's like, why the fuck are you doing this? You know? Right. And, but then the senators, they gave a bunch of speeches, and I, I forget, I think it's Ben Sass is his name. He's a Nebraska senator. I might be getting the last name wrong. He gave this like five minute talk and he just started kind of ranting about how he like we all like shoveling snow and like taking our kid to a baseball game. And like it was actually like a deeply touching thing because it, it was not political and it, it did just highlight this commonality. And I mean, this commonality is really, you know, the theme of all of this and, and why, I'm, why I'm optimistic and why I think this is a, a good project is that we're, we're told that there are so many differences between us and there really are not. Yes. We're all part of the same thing. We're all going to die. We're all part of the same ecosystem. We're all part of the same society. And I think we're starting. I think we're starting to appreciate that. So, so that would be my last word. I, you know, if y'all want to throw anything out there for consideration, please do. That's the reason I'm so optimistic because mm-hmm. I see that the changes are being made, and the whole thing is taking up speed. Mm-hmm. And at some point. The old board network has to recede. Now, the political network that we have had running this country for hundreds of years, actually, is on its way out. But as a hunter, and I've been a hunter all my life up until I got old, <laughs> as a hunter, you, you know one thing. Mm-hmm. An animal is most dangerous. Mm-hmm when he has no place else to run. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the old boy network that has ran America is on its last legs, but it's most dangerous right now. Right. This is a sentiment I, I have as well. I know right before, you know, they say the, opti- the optimism here with me oh, is that, that I see that the generations that are coming up are the generation that are going to change things. But we need to get the old people out of the way. Not old, old people around. <laughs> Just we'll keep you around, but yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. keep you around. We'll, we'll be exposed to play some music. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to bring you back. Okay. Okay, we, we're, going to do, we're going to do another one. Uh, we'll be in communication and maybe we'll meet sometime and just... Have a barbecue or something. Just sit yeah. around. Sit around. I heard. I heard you do good barbecues. Gene was saying that. 
Or you're saying yeah, something about a barbecue. Christina does pretty good barbecues. Yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> but hey, Nate Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, likewise. Show. But now, Dad, you got one last song for the folks? Yeah, yeah. And, and before, uh, before we get into that, uh, I know the season just passed, but make sure when it's back again, you get out there and vote. Uh, make sure on the first Saturday, second Saturday. And you gotta watch those local elections too. Those those are the important. Those are, are the ones where you really make a big you. impact. And they're on cycle and they're fun. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, make sure on the second Saturday of every month, you stop by Bon Ton Leroy's Lighthouse Smokehouse oh. and see Gator perform around nine p.m. Is that correct? Uh, seven to ten. Seven and to you're ten. At smokehouse. I mean, that's real solid. Come on down to Monterey <laughs> and check it out. And uh, but for that, I'll uh, I'll leave you with Gator here. Uh, okay, well, here's what I'm saying. This this has been absolutely a uh, just amazing conversation. And my friend Nate, we're gonna we're gonna be in communication. Like I told him, he's a part of the Alligator family now. And uh, the next time we come back, we're gonna nail everything. Okay, uh, th this was an introduction to me to my friend here. Um, and I hope that all of you have gotten, have hung with us on this. This one has been a little longer than our other podcasts. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We will be bringing Nate back again, maybe in a few podcasts down the road. And we're going to uh, get more, a little more focus and do, do, do one hell of a job. I'm going to do one more song for y'all. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to a little bit of Zydeco. This is a little song by the Zydeco Cha-Chas. I think Nathan and the Zydeco Cha-Chas. I only heard this song once in Louisiana. And like most things that I do, I decided to do my own version of it. I don't think I, I the lyrics I use, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what he was saying, but I use his, his quotes. But anyway, what the heck, here we go. Rock me all night long. Hey! Steady 